What's up, everybody? This is Devin Roberts, back again on Beacon Broadcasting. I'm really glad to be talking to you guys today. I know I have absolutely not been recording enough podcasts. We've been launching a new project known as Jack's Hustle Hour, and I've been launching, or I guess attempting to launch, my Beacon website as of late. So the podcast has kind of fallen by the wayside in a way that I don't like. I'm going to try to get back on my consistent schedule of posting. I think in my first year, if you're unaware, we recently passed the first year of the podcast in early September. So we're about a year and a month in now, and I believe I've put out about 50 episodes, which isn't bad. I averaged it out about once a week. But there's a lot more that I could be talking about and doing for you guys, a lot more that we could be discussing, especially with how news and politics and all the fun stuff that we try to bring up on this episode's um, has been going lately. Oh, it's been, it's been a mess, guys. Honestly, this election is something like I've never seen before, even with the Trump and Hillary election. The different, the, the level that each party seems to be willing to go to defeat their opponent. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. And I'm really excited today to get to talk to you about it, to get to go over some of the most interesting things happen and to try to relaunch a more consistent brand of the Young Controversy podcast. So stick with us. So all this mess really accumulates right now, or I guess where everyone's keeping the the brunt of their attention right now is on the potential Trump impeachment and his ties with Ukraine and Joe Biden and that whole mess that's going on. I'm going to try to break it down in an understandable way today and give the facts as best I know them so that you guys can kind of get a grasp of what is actually going on with this whole Ukraine situation. So, while Joe Biden was vice president... The concept here is that his son, Hunter, Hunter Biden, was on a board for a oil company based out of Ukraine. He was, he had been discharged from the Navy for bad behavior, as well as a few other things, and people were confused, I guess, on how he got on this board in the first place. It's pretty obvious that he got on the board because his father, Joe, put in a good word, which isn't a big deal, nor crime, nor really a problem that the American people seem to care about. Where the problem came in is at a point the Ukraine government was investigating the company that Hunter Biden was on the board of, investigating them for fraud and embezzlement and a few other things, as far as I saw in the news. Well, Joe Biden, while he was vice president, allegedly, this hasn't been confirmed, this is what Trump was kind of preambling towards, but he allegedly called Ukraine and threatened to withhold American aid if they didn't cancel the investigation into his son, Hunter Biden's company. Now, this is a massive deal in any kind of... This is direct foreign interference for personal gain. Like, this is this is absolutely pro-no-quo. Like, um, the, the concept is, if you attempt to withhold or use American money, tax dollars, your position of power to benefit you especially in relation to a foreign government and to influence a foreign government um and to specifically get your son off of being investigated it would be a, a monstrous offense worth impeachment and definitely worth looking at joe biden as a candidate for the coming up 2020 election so trump called ukraine and did something I guess somewhat similar. If you listen to the call, you can get more of a context on this. I've listened to the whole thing, so I'm kind of coming off of what I took from the call. 
Trump called and asked Ukraine to investigate into this Biden issue that I've just described to you. Well, in the issue, the issue wasn't exactly that Trump or that, or the issue for Trump wasn't that he, pro no quote, he didn't in the phone call attempt to withhold money from Ukraine exactly, but he did some something along the lines of, I want you to investigate Joe Biden. He's obviously done something to help his son Hunter Biden that I think might be illegal. Ukraine and America have been great friends in the past and we help each other out a lot. And I would be very appreciative if you help me out in this situation. Now, as we know, although Trump said it that way, prono quo, which is what Biden's being accused of, is directly withholding foreign aid for a favor, essentially. He, he was withholding foreign aid from Ukraine, allegedly, for a favor to get his son, Hunter Biden, and his company from being investigated. The Democrats and Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of um, the House currently and the House Majority Leader, she has filed articles of impeach and impeachment against Trump for this, saying that he has committed prono quo by attempting to investigate or have Ukraine's government investigate um, Biden, saying that the comment about we've been friends for a long time and America's helped Ukraine a lot and you should help me out was prono quo and was Trump implying that he would withhold foreign aid, assuming that Ukraine didn't follow through. Now, I get where she's coming from in this. That's absolutely a possibility. But go listen to the recording yourself. And I don't think it was near enough to be called withholding foreign aid. Like The Ukrainian president came out and said he never felt even slightly pressured to do this in any way that he felt asked that he didn't expect things to be withheld and that to me says a lot within itself the ukrainian president if he felt attacked or or put under pressure by president trump he could have come out on stage and just said yeah i felt completely pressured by him that's exactly what happened and trump would be impeached and it'd be over and no skin off ukraine's back they'd have a a big favor and brownie point for the next administration but he didn't. He came out and said, I didn't feel pressure by Trump. He came and he asked me about this and we discussed it. Ukraine and America have been allies. Not only this, but recently, if you've been keeping up with the news, Trump, as the articles of impeachment have been continued to talk about, and he's been interviewed about all the things going on lately, he has spoken very specifically on um, what he wants and why he wants Joe Biden to be investigating what he believes happened even calling on China directly in public and on national television to investigate the Joe Biden inquiry and incident. Now, this obviously shows one of two things. Either President Trump doesn't believe that he can be impeached and fully believes that he has the power to break the law, or he doesn't believe he's currently breaking the law and what he's doing, which I think it's a good mixture of both. Um, I think what he did was definitely um, one of the federal judges um, issued a warning stating that reminding leaders and um, politicians exactly what counts as prono quo in foreign interference and reiterating what is okay and what is not okay and that absolutely no help of any kind and no asked for help from foreign governments in our election and asking them to interfere with our election, investigate candidates, put out ads, it really doesn't matter. Any specific request for aid from a foreign government should is considered illegal. So what Trump did based on those standards is illegal for sure. Problem is everyone in 
um, Washington's doing it at current. Everyone is asking for foreign aid. Everyone's having intelligence committees and foreign governments investigate their opponents. And it's a large problem. I think Trump, with this Ukraine situation, was trying to bring to the limelight. I think he knew they couldn't investigate him about talking to Ukraine without investigating Biden. And I think he knows what he did and what Biden did are two completely different levels of prono quo. One is maybe illegal and on the fringe of not being a big deal, while one is directly saying, I will withhold foreign aid if you don't do X. I don't know who's in the wrong here and who's in the right. You know, yeah, I do. I think everyone's in the wrong here. And everyone who's contacting foreign governments to try to give them a leg up in the election is in the wrong here. That goes for Trump. That goes for Biden. That goes for every other member of Congress, member of Trump's cabinet, member of the swamp that is doing this kind of thing. I don't know. I really, I really don't see, I don't see a bright side on either of these people as candidates right now. I see a very, very big argument about both sides essentially claiming that the other side is not only unfit to be president, but is a monster and shouldn't be allowed to run as president. And although I like the, the, the drama that comes in with these kind of elections and these kind of presidents, and it is done a great job to propel this podcast into all of you guys' ears. I truly want the people running my country and the politicians over me to respect each other and to respect the process and to do it fairly and legally and correctly. And I know I sound ridiculous even claiming that as someone who talks about politics as much as I do, but it's something I truly believe can happen. I believe I believe the sw- draining of the swamp was one of the most important points of Trump's initial election. And he needs to be very careful that people don't see him as the swamp going into the next one. Joe Biden, from my perspective, assuming what is being investigated is true, absolutely committed pro no quo. Um, if he's caught doing so, I don't think he should be allowed to be the Democratic nomination. I absolutely will not even consider voting for him as president. And... The more this kind of stuff comes out, the more I see just flagrant corruption from the Democratic Party and the people leading it. It's, it's a cold day in hell where you'll find a Republican recently with extremely heavy scandals such as Pizzagate and Jeffrey Epstein or such as the prono quo that Joe Biden's been going through or something that can keep them from being president in an extreme way, like the health problems of Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. Many of these things that I see on the left are huge red flags for political dissidents. And not only that, there are things like the Green New Deal that Ocasio-Cortez came out with, or the fact that she actually gave someone who discussed eating babies as a political movement the time of day this week. If you haven't seen that, I'll, I'll keep this in the same segment. We'll, we'll jump off the Joe Biden thing for a sec. AOC, ex- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, ma- the, the darling of the, of the House of Representatives right now, an absolute gem. Um, Ocasio has been one of the big movement pieces for the Green New Deal recently, which if you haven't listened to this podcast, I think it's the most ridiculous piece of legislation to ever even be discussed in media. It has no actionable items. It is all fairy tale ideas with no actual prominence or direction on how to 
do them. It's it's the worst piece of legislation you ever read. You thought you thought politicians were doing their job. Go read the Green New Deal in whole, and then come back to me. Um. Anyway, I think she means well as a person, but I will I crap on Ocasio Cortez more than nearly anyone else because. One, she's in my age bracket, so I, I enjoy making fun of the, the immaturity aspect of her campaign and what she does to a certain degree. I love poking at the fact that she just doesn't know what she's talking about half the time. Like, we discussed that politicians like Bernie Sanders and Trump and Hillary Clinton don't know what they're talking about. But in actuality, they probably know more than most of us due to the length of time they've been in politics. A lot of times, especially on big speeches or news networks, they're speaking to the lowest common denominator. They're trying to speak in a way that someone who doesn't care about politics or watch much politics will understand what they're saying and identify with it. Because that's how you win swing votes. Ocasio-Cortez doesn't have that problem. When she says stupid shit, it's because she doesn't understand what she's talking about. And one of the best examples was at a rally in the last, I can't tell you what day it was, it must have been the last two or three days, um, because it's such a recent piece of news, I'll be posting about it on my Instagram, at Beacon Broadcasting, but Acacia wound up letting someone get up during one of her rallies and discuss a concept of eating babies to save the planet. The deranged woman that was in the crowd speaking to Ocasio claimed that we weren't that she was appreciative that AOC supported the Green New Deal and climate change, but didn't believe that it would be fast enough, that even if we bombed Russia, we wouldn't kill enough people for the world to be able to survive, and that the only way we could reduce our CO2 emissions and create a, a air of safety and peace and environmental prosperity would be to start eating babies. Yep. She said that eating babies, eating newborns and young children that will inevitably be CO2 makers and will inevitably ruin the environment is the only way to do it. And we should be using them as fuel for ourselves and trying to lower the population count. Now, obviously, this is a ludicrous idea. One of the dumbest, craziest things ever. And 20 years ago would have got you committed to an insane asylum. But nowadays, you can talk to the biggest politicians in the land about your crazy ideas, and they have to take them somewhat seriously. The second this woman spouted this absolute nonsense, two representatives from Acacia's team um, seemed like what was a security guard and then maybe a PR representative of her, both approached the woman and tried to escort her out of the building for saying something so ridiculous and putting something like that on the table. Acacia stopped them and told the, her to sit back down, try, kind of message, motioned to her people to let her sit back down in her seat, and began having a small, albeit, but serious discussion with the woman about what she thought. Acacia claimed that we had plenty of time to save the environment, we at least had a couple years, so we didn't need to do anything that extreme right now, and that to believe that we don't have hope is is too far, and that we always have hope no matter what and just engaged in a dialogue with this person that that was absolutely ludicrous and just made her look silly. Now, I know she was caught on the spot, and I'm sure she's asked a million questions a week, and they're all ridiculous, so I, I don't want to, like, I don't want to blame Ocasio-Cortez too much for responding to this lady's inquiry, but what I do want to point out is that these are the kind of people that are attracted to absolutely ludicrous r rhetoric. If you haven't read the Green New Deal, for a quick 
two-second summary. They expect to be able to eliminate all planes, boats, and cars that use gas within 10 years. That would be the, and one of the most ludicrous claims that the, the Green New Deal makes. So I'm going to break it down to one really simple fact that everyone can kind of understand and get behind. The, the ability we would have as a society to get rid of all gas-powered vehicles, specifically cars and trucks, within the next 10 years is unbelievably unfeasible. Not even, not even in the ballpark of feasible. Like People are like, well, we could just have everyone switch to electric cars. We could convert things to electric cars. The, the money it would take for every American to buy a new electric car, and it would have to be new because there aren't any electric cars from 2003, would be more money than I would say 80% of Americans could spend on any given month or maybe even any given year. It would require a whole new level of innovation in the car industry and how they designed everything and a whole new way of competing. It would eliminate the need for gas stations across the country, putting those businesses in serious debt and out of work. And they employ a ridiculous amount of the country. Now, everyone could say, oh, that's true. Yeah, Devin, I get what you're saying. But we still have to save the environment. So sometimes sacrifices have to be made. I get that. I get what people are saying with that. But then where are you going to put the cars? If we were to get rid of every gas-powered car in the country and you were to be able to get ever we had enough electric cars to give everyone one for free let's say let's say in the perfect socialist world well we wouldn't have anywhere to put the gas-powered cars the amount we would fill landfills and oceans and the amount we would leave a i don't want to say carbon footprint we would leave a metal footprint on the planet for the number of vehicles that we would be getting rid of not repurposing just throwing away would hurt the environment as much as eliminating the CO2 that cars cause would help the environment. And it's, I don't realize, or I don't understand why I have to explain that to people so often. It makes so obvious sense to me. And I'm specifically deterred from the parties for their ridiculous rhetoric like that. But people not like me who aren't deterred by ridiculous rhetoric like that, people get attracted to absolutely insane rhetoric when they believe absolutely insane things. So the fringe people of the world, the people in the world that are a little loony, a little off, have political ideas or movement ideas or believe in things that may not may not fly in Western culture and may not work with the America we've built correctly are significantly more drawn to the left because the left and liberalism in general claims for change and growth and movement and things to be different than they are now. And although I love the concept of that kind of thing, I don't know if allowing people to speak on eating dead babies and giving them that platform and allowing that to be shared across social media because you couldn't just tell them that their idea is insane because you want to be inclusive might be a bad a bad strategy for Acasio and her team. She needs to be able to condemn things that are absolutely deplorable. She needs to be able to condemn baby eaters. She needs to be able to um, to condemn radical Islam. She needs to be able to condemn political opponents that she is dissident with within her party. She needs to be able to talk as if having a problem with the way certain people do things is okay. 
and the inclusive, accepting, everyone's right in some respect left has made that very hard for her. And she's now having to entertain a lot of crazy ideals and crazy thoughts that she, I'm not even sure, fully believes herself. And I really hope that she sees that soon. She sees the incredible opportunities she's given as one of the youngest um, congresswoman to ever exist. And I hope she realizes that she needs to be standing up for her own beliefs and shooting down the ideas of the loonies within her party. I guess. I guess that's my feelings on Cody Tats. Good luck. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge. In other big, interesting industry news that is a little less political and a little more fun to talk about, the Walking Phoenix Joker. It's a new Joker movie starring Walking Phoenix. As I've obviously said, it is a a deep dive into the psychology behind Joker the character, the main rival of the Batman for as long as Batman fans have been Batman fans. And in my opinion, the most iconic villain to ever enter any kind of comic, TV, or movie anything. The Joker is a is different than every other Joker movie you've ever seen. Joker has never had a standalone movie, never had a standalone special, never anything of the sort. He's always had a Batman with which he is a rival and enemy in his movies, or he's usually been in a movie with support or as support for a Harley Quinn character. So Joker is usually portrayed by how he affects the people around him. Joker is an agent of chaos. He, he, he wants people to have a bad day. Joker's whole thing, and I, I say this too much in my daily life that my friends listening to this are going to get upset, but Joker's goal as a villain is to make Batman kill him. I don't know if everyone quite realizes that, and if they do, they don't realize why. Joker's whole persona as a character is that he isn't really a bad guy. The society and everything around him has failed him. And that he lives in an evil world. And he just happened to run the luck or run the gauntlet where his gauntlet has been bad enough that he chooses to do this. And his claims are that no one can claim better than him because one bad day could turn anyone else into the Joker. If something bad enough happened to you, then you could be like him. You could go crazy. You could become a mass murderer. You're only one step away from the Joker. One day away. So, is everything really madness? That's his point. Batman, as a character, has a... is the paragon of good. I call him the Jesus Christ figure of comics. And what I mean by that is... Superman is the God the Father figure of comics, where Superman comes from the sky, wears bright colors, symbolizes nothing but hope, and can be judge, jury, and executioner of our whole world with no problem if that's what he wants. He is a paragon of good, a paragon of superiority, and a paragon of power amongst regular people. That's Superman's job. That's God the Father in the Bible. That's the the perfect standard, the gold standard with which to hold up to. I love that in the character, and I love Superman. I love his beacon of hope shtick. I love everything about it. But the only character that means more societally and means more in the DC comics is Batman, who is the Jesus character 
of DC Comics. He is the one who is all God, but all man. All superhero, but all a person. Someone who can compete on the level of Superman and Wonder Woman and the gods of the DC Universe, but still has the innate characteristics of a man. He can still die. He can still make mistakes. He still, he isn't born for this. He chose this. It's a whole different thing for him. So, Joker's whole thing is that if he can convince, if he can anger Batman into killing him, if the Joker can make Batman kill the Joker, then he proves his point. Batman is the paragon. He is 100% human and he is 100% god or superhero in this case. He is what is considered the ultimate good, the one who will never break his moral code no matter what happens, no matter who asks. He is the, if you've ever studied um, Immanuel Kant, he's a really famous um, philosopher who discusses the truth of absolute good, where absolute good is choosing your moral code and never breaking it. I do not murder under any circumstance. No matter what happens, I won't kill somebody. That's Batman's line. That's the one he swears he won't cross. He will not kill somebody. Someone can come into Batman's house, murder his whole family, and burn it down. Batman's rule is he will not kill somebody. The Joker finds this as, as almost proof that his theory may be false. That if he can't give Batman a bad enough day to turn him evil, then Batman can't be turned evil. And if Batman can't be turned evil, everything isn't absolute evil. There is good. There is hope. And the Joker can't stand that thought. The Joker needs to prove that even the greatest of us can fall. And that's his character. That's what his character has always been and always will be. And he does that through trying to make Batman break his moral code in whatever means necessary and cause as much chaos and laughs for him in the process. Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, the new one that I'd like to talk on, is different from all the Jokers in the past. Where all the Jokers in the past generally come with no backstory, the Joker really doesn't have a definitive backstory as a character. He's kept as a more of a an agent of chaos, I keep liking to say. He he the making his backstory definitive g makes him personable, makes him a person. And especially up till recently in DC Comics, DC didn't want that cuz Joker was the ultimate evil and they didn't want people identifying with the Joker. That has not worked in the history of the comics as Harley Quinn, the Joker, are the two most identified with and popular characters there are currently in DC Comics. But Joaquin Phoenix's Joker takes that whole premise of trying to make the Joker's background a mystery, making him harder to identifying with, make him, making him a force of chaos instead of a person, and gives him a true in-depth character study and discusses the psychology of what could have made the Joker the Joker, the kind of world we live in and how we treat people that could lead the Joker to becoming an actual thing, someone we would have to deal with. What kind of people in our world and in our society do we treat in ways or who do get treated in ways or go through things that drive them crazy enough to become mass murders and how and why can we stop it and what do we do about it and is there any hope for it and should we sympathize with them and it touches on a lot of this in very very interesting ways 
the the movie is obviously a tragedy and for the first time ever doesn't have someone that the Joker's playing off of. There there is some I don't want to spoil too much, but I don't think this is a spoiler. There's a there's a Bruce Wayne in the movie, a young, very age different than him, Bruce Wayne. You won't be seeing Batman uh, as Batman in this movie. He doesn't have a character to play off of. He doesn't get to be the evil antithesis to someone else. He doesn't have a Batman with which to contrast. Joker just gets to be the main character in this movie. Not only do you begin identifying him and quickly feeling bad for him and seeing his slight in society, you do so the whole time knowing what's going to happen at the end. You know where the story ends. For me, someone who's read more comics than I absolutely should have, and who absolutely loves the character of the Joker and believes Batman and the Batman family from Dick Grayson to Joker to Harley Quinn to Penguin to everyone within that sphere of comics is the most fleshed out and best made comic characters ever. I believe that the Joker movie that Joaquin Phoenix was in was phenomenal and out of this world. 9.5 out of 10. He puts a backstory to a character who's never had a very definitive true backstory, gives the character a new name that's never been heard related to the Joker before, and does so masterfully with one of the most iconic characters ever in the history of comics. One that, after following Heath Ledger's Joker in The Dark Knight Rises, which, or Dark, The Dark Knight, I'm sorry, um, doesn't, I guess you can't, you almost can't compare the two because one is such a, such a character synopsis, such a rated R look into the psychology of the Joker, and that would be Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, while Heath Ledger Joker is an action movie Joker that has wonderful Easter eggs and hints throughout the whole movie that imply and show actually how insane the Joker is. Both are 10 out of 10 performances in my opinion. Um, the big difference and the only thing I would tell you to go into this movie remembering is that this isn't a superhero movie. This doesn't have a happy ending. It doesn't have a dramatic conclusion. It doesn't have a big battle. It doesn't have anything of that nature. It's, it's one man, Arthur's slow descent into madness. Why he descended into madness, who and how caused it, and what he's become because of it. And it is one of the best performances you'll ever see in, in theaters. You really will. It's, it's worth going to see. It's not flashy and big and bright and exciting like a lot of other superhero movies we've seen recently. So it's not going to give you that razzle-dazzle that, you know, maybe Infinity War gave you in theaters. But as far as a, something to sit on and think about and something that you can really uh, get your mind into and really start to, to consider the implications of and consider what the movie is trying to say to you. All I'm trying to say is a, it's a thinker, guys. It's a really thinking movie. And I love movies like that. I love original takes on characters if done well. I would have crapped on this movie the second I saw it if it wasn't a good Joker. I crapped on it when I heard they were doing another Joker until I saw the critical reviews. Everyone's been giving it 10 out of 10s from IGN to Rotten Tomatoes to fans to everyone. It is a special movie, and I hope you all get a chance to go see it. I saw it last night for the premiere. Absolutely loved it. 
I'd give it a 9.5 out of 10, probably 9 out of 10. The only, nothing to do with Joaquin Phoenix's performance to keep it from getting that 10. He did a 10 out of 10 job. And nothing to do with the director's performance either. It's just, there's so much I want out of the Joker. And I want out of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker now. I want to see the clown prince of crime do certain things that I'm didn't get to see in this movie and they shouldn't have added to this movie because it would have taken away from it but it's if you're a big joker fan if you're someone who's been around the character for a long time it, it may it may not be exactly what you think it is it's something different and something special and i just want everyone to go in with that mindset knowing what they're getting into and prepared for what they're going to see because it is going to be a ride great movie great time got to see it with some really good friends Hope all y'all go to watch it, and that's basically all I got for a critical review of the movie, so I hope y'all hit theaters. It's Joker, came out yesterday, um, October 3rd, and should be in theaters for the next about two months. Great Halloween movie, definitely suggest it.